This is the Candeo Equipping Podcast. We'll go ahead and get started. I'm sure people, maybe, I don't know, probably won't trickle in. But uh, yeah, so thanks so much for braving the weather. And this is like probably the only thing you came for. So we'll try not to make it stink. Um, this, uh, my name's Jake, and this is my wife, Sarah. And we've been married for 10 years. And we've got two kiddos at home, Naomi and Judah. And um, this book that you guys are going through came out after we were married, which mm-hmm. is kind of a bummer for us because like, we're like, wow, this is actually fantastic. Yeah. So most of what we've read has honestly been in preparation for like teaching some of these classes, which we're like, yeah, kind of envious of you guys um, to be able to go through it. But uh, yeah, so anything you want to do as far as introductory of yourself? No, we both work on staff. I'm part-time um, women's lead here. So um, my role is just to get to know women and help women get better connected at Candeo, whether that's newcomers or emerging connection group leaders or just getting together with women who um, want to talk more about the Lord. And um, also, I do all the women's Bible studies here, too. So we're starting Jonah today, which awesome. I'm excited. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's great. So I don't know how the first session went, uh, but feel free at any point as we're talking and uh, going through our notes. Like, if you got questions or anything like that, feel free to just interrupt us, okay? I told Sarah last night, I'm like, I don't want her sitting here just making me look good, uh, which you do that. But um, but Sarah's got a ton of wisdom, too, as far as uh, marriage and uh, the wife's role and perspective and all that stuff. So. Uh, hopefully this will be a little bit of an iterative process where we can be in a, in a dialogue uh, to a degree. So uh, one of the things I want to start off doing is you've got, so we didn't have note cards, I realize, and so I made my own out of cardstock, which is what you have on your table. So uh, each person take one of these cards in the middle, and hopefully this exercise will be helpful um, as we get to the end of what we're talking about today. Oh, speak to the devil. Thank right. you. <laughs> you got room? You got time? Yeah, come on. This is a troublemaker. Okay, so you guys are taking some of those note cards in the middle. That's what we're doing. You haven't missed anything. Um, so today, so today we're going to be talking about roles, roles and responsibilities. And if you've got your binder, you see uh, this is session two, roles and responsibilities. And I really love the chapter that Kathy Keller uh, wrote. I really love that she wrote that chapter on it. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about kind of what you got out of that. But um, starting off here with our session, um, and you, you have to promise, so your significant other, you can't cheat and look over at them because we don't need the, any sort of conflict to begin right now, right? <laughs> That's this later. is for later, okay, so, uh, so keep your eyes on your own thing. Um, but from your perspective, all right, what I want you to do is I want you to write down uh, as it relates to, and this is for everybody, so guys, answer this for yourself, gals, answer, answer this for your guy, all right, like from your perspective. Is his leadership more active or passive? 
And as it relates to loving, like loving you, is he loving in that? Like, is he actively loving? Or is he lazy in loving you? Like, like does he just kind of take the back seat, just assume you know? Like, she knows I love her, so like this that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> If this oh, is bringing up, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the room next door is like, nobody's in there, so if you need to go fight it out, that's fine. Um, so guys, answer that for yourself, like, is my leadership, am I, am I an active leader or a passive leader, and do I love my spouse or fiance well, or am I lazy in that? Um, and then gals, answer that from your perspective for him. Uh, and this is where it's like, keep your eyes on your thing, because what gets interesting is, is if is if, guys, if you write something that's actually different than what she wrote, that's where the discussions can get kind of fun. Fun. Not, I'm not in them for you. Yeah, they're fun for me. Uh, <laughs> okay, so now we're going over to the ladies here. So ladies, answer this for yourself, and guys, answer this for your significant other. Um, do you, so this is from the guy's perspective. Guys, do you feel more respected in your leadership? Or reviled. That was my creative way of trying to alliterate. Okay, like, like, do you feel like when you when you try to lead in your relationship, uh, does she look at your leadership and like respect that, or is it kind of that rolled eyes? What the heck are you doing? Kind of like, like, man, what? This is lame. This is stupid. Like, what a loser. Like that kind of thing. Um, and and as you lead, is her response to your leadership more joyful or judgmental? Is it like, oh man, that that's not, maybe that's not the way I would have done it. That's not the decision I would have made. But like, at least you're trying, right? You know, or is it just kind of like nitpicky? Like, oh, here's how that could have done better. Here's how you should have done that, or whatever. Is it more joyful or judgmental? All right. And judgmental could also be like competing. Like she's trying to like fight for that role. I see a lot of women where it's like, I'm going to poke at that, and I'm also going to try to do it better than you. The respected or reviled, yeah. So the, so the left side here on, the, on it is kind of from the guy's perspective. The right side is uh, from the lady's perspective there. Um, and what's interesting with this, and, and so it's like Matt, and you guys will know with having kids, a lot of this uh, can actually end up getting exasperated when you have children. So even so, if it's hard to answer right now, where it's like, oh, I, I don't know, she sure. seems fine or whatever. The interesting thing is when is now when you start to have kids, you know, if and when that ever happens for for some of you, uh, these things can kind of tend to get fleshed out as it relates to like leadership and parenting as well, you know. Mm-hmm. And that that's I think where the competition kind of thing can come up, where it's kind of like, I want to lead the kids this way, she wants to lead the kids this way, uh, and if we haven't discuss these things. It's not like this is a silver bullet where it's going to fix where you'll never have problems, but like if we haven't even begun to understand kind of our roles in this and how we interact well and how I love and serve her, Sarah sacrificially and how she respects my leadership, like raising kids is going to be a pain in the butt, right? And so, and even if you end up not having kids, it's a big deal. So, um, so we're going to kind of come circle, circle back around at these towards the end. And my goal isn't necessarily that you'd have these conversations uh, to, like this morning, um, but it will be more so uh, at some point, you know, either today or tomorrow, whenever it works for you guys, to actually sit down and compare note cards and go, okay, now in light of kind of like what we saw here, uh, how can I humbly 
accept criticism and feedback and how can I humbly give it and then we grow together. So, um, yeah. So one of the things we want to do this morning is we always want, especially as it relates to uh, roles and responsibilities within relationships, within marriage, uh, we got to go to the Bible. Like if we, just, if we just leave it to ourselves to come up with what we think should happen or what the culture says uh, male and female roles in marriage should be, like we're going we're gonna to constantly be drifting, we're going to constantly be pushed to and fro by the winds of culture and by our own opinions. We won't have an anchor in anything. And so we want to look at the Bible. And so uh, this morning, if you, if you have a Bible or your phone, go ahead and open up to it. We're just going to kind of go through these and kind of make comments along the way. Um, Genesis 1, verse 27. And the the question that we're going to answer with with a couple of these passages is, um, according to these verses, how are men and women alike? All right, so Genesis 1, verse 27. If someone wants to just shout it out and read that, we're going to kind of answer these together. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Okay, so that's, that's from the creation account, right? Genesis 1. So let's fast forward to Galatians 3 in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So Galatians 3, verses 25 through 29. Go ahead and shout it out if you if you got it. Three twenty-five through twenty through twenty-nine. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Uh, twenty. Wait, you said twenty-five. Yeah. Ah. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. Nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Awesome. So this, this Galatians text is uh, something that a lot of people will point to to try to say, okay, well, see right there, there's no, there's no distinction between genders. There's no, there are no roles or responsibilities within, uh, within the relationship. Because look, it says right there, like, there is no male nor female. Uh, we're all under Christ, stuff like that. Well, what we need to understand is that that's not in relation to uh, our roles within our, our relationships. That is, that's in relation to uh, into the... The, uh, how would I say it? The availability of salvation. Like, like as we have received faith, it's not like a male's faith is more important than a female's faith. Like, when it comes to salvation being offered in Christ, like, there is no Jew or Gentile. There is no male or female. Like, that, that is available uh, indiscriminately, we might say. So if somebody tries to say, well, that, that means there's no, gen- there's no distinctions in roles, it's like, no, no. That's just saying that there is equality at the foot of the cross. That's what that's saying. And so what we see from Genesis 1.27 all the way through Galatians 3 is simply that uh, men and women are created in the image of God. We're created in the image of God. We are equal in worth and in value. Uh, And that's simply, I mean, we're made in the image of God and and salvation is offered, like I said, indiscriminately, uh, regardless of your gender, background, stuff like that. 
So now, so we got that as a basis, right? From, and that, that's not a cultural thing either. And we'll see a little bit later uh, how the Bible's argument for roles and responsibilities within the marriage relationship isn't based in culture. It's based in creation, which is why we start off in Genesis 1. But let's, let's go now to 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 3. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Awesome. So this is kind of a fun little point. As we think of uh, what what men's roles and what women's roles is uh, within the marriage relationship, our culture tends to be repulsed by even the suggestion that there are differences in roles, right? Like, it's like, oh, uh, women are equal to men, and they should be able to do everything men should do and all that stuff. It's like, yeah, they are equal in worth. But we even see within the Godhead itself, we see within the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that they they are all equal in worth and in value and in godness. But even within the Godhead, between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there are distinct roles, right? Like, like, God is the head of Christ. And, and some people want to say, like, well, that means source. Like, and it's like, no, 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 that, that's just simply speaking to the authoritative structure within the Godhead. Like, like, Christ submits himself willingly and joyfully to the leadership of the Father, but that in no way diminishes his value and worth. And so uh, if, if there's anything within you, women or men or whatever, that it's like, man, I just feel really uncomfortable uh, thinking that there, are, that there should be specific roles for men and women within marriage, uh, I just want to say, like, like the Godhead itself has submitted itself to different roles even within the three persons of the Trinity, right? So this has nothing to do with worth, has nothing to do with value. If it did, then what the Bible would be saying is that Jesus is of lesser value than God. And there's nowhere in the scripture that we see that uh, as a reality. So um, quite, quite simply, a submission does not equal inferiority, okay? And that's, that's why we're trying to point to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because they submit to one another, but there is no inferiority across the board, okay? And we need that as a basis, right? Because we're going to come up against the winds of culture and the, and the, um, the opinions of, of other people and, probably, and maybe even ourselves, where it's like we're going to fight against that and we're going to want, uh, we're going we're gonna to think equality uh, means that, that Sarah and I have to function at the exact, in the exact same way. And that actually, at the end of the day, and we're going to see, that diminishes uh, our giftings. Like, that actually diminishes who Sarah is to assume that she has to function in the exact same way that I do. And, and we'll see, I know that sounds counterintuitive, but we'll see how that plays itself out here in a little bit. Is there anything you want to kind of add to it as far as... Yeah, I remember you taught a sermon not too long ago that it really stuck with me, the thought that we worship a God who he understands submission and Jesus submits just like I submit to my husband and Jake also submits to someone. So it's not like it's not like I'm the only one that has to submit. And just like sometimes I'll hear from Naomi, our six-year-old, like, why am I the only one who has to obey? It's like, no, you don't. We have to obey too. Mm-hmm. Just like I have to obey Jake, Jake, or submit to Jake, Jake submits to God, and 
So he understands and Jesus understands because it's a submission. Everyone submits to God. Mm. So it's that just stuck with me that we should all be submitting to our authority. Mm. And we're going to see this. So let's, we're going to have a little bit of time. It's not going to be at our tables. It's actually going to be as couples, all right? And so what I want you to do is, I don't know what page this is on for you guys, uh, where it's got the passages, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3. It says role of husband, role of wife. Five and six. Five and six, okay. So what I want you to do is take like seven minutes, okay? And I want you as a couple to read these four passages and then fill in together, like what does this passage say about the role of a husband? What does this passage say about the role of a wife? And in a few minutes, we'll come back and we'll look at these together and have some thoughts on it. All right, so for the Ephesians 5, I'll start off role of the husband, according to Paul in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. What's the role of the husband, biblically? Anyone get anything different? Uh, present her <laughs> holy, cleansed, without blemish. Christ as the church. Mm. Also submit to his faith. Anything else? 22 through 33. Yeah. Christ simply, the, the husband is to be the loving leader of his wife. Uh, now, lest we think, and again, it's, we always read the Bible through our own cultural lens, right? Like, this would have been radical, but not in the way that we think, okay? When we read this, we think, wow, this is radical, because look, look at what it's calling women to do. So it's calling women to submit, and it's calling them to all that stuff, and like, but when the Ephesians would have read this letter from Paul, like the people who would have been most offended or thought it to be the most radical would have actually been the men. Because, because to introduce the element to these men, to these husbands in this culture, where it's like, actually for you to be a good husband means that you die to yourself and you serve and you love your wife. Like that would have been totally countercultural. Like, like it, it, was, it was such an elevation of women and, if we could use this language, a diminishing of men, like for the way that they would have heard this. And so uh, lest we think like, wow, this seems really uh, patriarchal or outdated or whatever, it's like, no, this was like radical to think that, that a man would be in the position of a loving leader of his wife and of his home. Um, in verse 28 is something, this, this kind of revolutionized uh, my thinking, because if if you're like if you're like me, I th I think in general, um, and this is just a generalization. There's if this doesn't apply to you, it's a generalization. Like men tend to be more, I think, uh, interested in things, and women tend to be more interested in people or relationships, right? So like, um, but something that kind of uh, was radical in the way that I viewed even just generosity, was verse 28. Uh, if you look at it, 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Like, it's really easy for me to think of ways to love myself. And it's really easy for me to think of the things that I want to get, the things that I want to enjoy, the things that I want to do, the way that I want to spend my time, the way that I want to spend my money, the, all that stuff. Like, it's really easy for me to think of that. I mean, if you just asked me, I could probably make a list, right? And what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 5 is like, actually, guys, if you want to think of the best way to love yourself, because we're already hardwired to do it, to just straight up love myself, like the best thing you can do to love yourself is to love your wife. The most generous thing you can do for yourself is to be generous with your wife. That was, that was the thing that uh, was radical for me because uh, it's really easy for me to be generous with myself, right? To think, oh, I can save up for this. I can get this, all this stuff. It's like, wow. So according to the Bible, the best way for me to treat, to treat myself is to try to say yes as often as possible to the things that Sarah wants, the needs that she has, the desires that she wants, the, the time that she would like. Like, that's the best way I can treat myself well. I mean, that is so radical to even think of, you know, where it's like, when I say yes to Sarah buying those boots or that dress or whatever it is, it's like, that is the most generous thing I can do for myself is to be sacrificially loving to my wife. Like, and I remember when that, when that switch flipped where it was like, Oh my gosh, I think so different about this. You know, and it totally changed the way that I, that I thought about what I considered to be my own time, my own money, my own desires, my own things. It was like, no, if I transfer all of that, over, that, that preferential loving leadership and in, in lead Sarah well in that, like, if I'm treating it, it is that happy wife, happy life thing. It's like, well, there it is. Ephesians 5.28. It's in the Bible. Happy wife, happy <laughs> life, right? And it's, but it's not like, it's not like I'm, oh, I'm just trying to make her, ha- like, to appease her, like mm-hmm. she's this tyrant. It's like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. The best thing I can do for myself is love Sarah. That, that would have been radical for them, especially, and it still is radical today. Because especially guys, if you're anything like me, we're hardwired to think of what can I do to benefit myself. And that's just not things. It's time. Yeah. It's... Even in like intimacy, sometimes it's like we always say, you always say yes, no matter what. And that, that can go both ways as too, as, possible, as often yeah. as possible. And being generous with one another in every way. And I remember when that switched in our marriage and I was like, wow, I feel so loved. And it is, I, I, it, it's a lot easier to respect and submit to someone who I know really cares about me and is generous with mm-hmm. me. So we're not gonna spend as much time on each of these, but I think that was worth it. So role of a wife from Ephesians 5, to 23. Submit husband as he submits to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Respectfully submissive. Yeah. A respectful submission can be difficult, but um, I love where it says, as to the Lord. So when you're submitting to your husband, you know that you're honoring the Lord. So if you have a good relationship with the Lord and you want to honor him and you want to make him happy, then that's, that's how we can honor the Lord is by submitting respectfully. And I love that respectful submission, not just submission, because it's easy to be like, sure, whatever you want. That's, that's not really respectful, but I can say that. I can be like, yeah, 
yes, but without without the respect, it's not really submitting. Yeah. So does it go the same way? Um, so like, if the husband as the leader isn't submitting to Christ. Mm. So like, the husband isn't submitting to Christ. Is the wife? You know what I mean? Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. That goes right into this next passage, I think. Yeah, it'll go into the next passage, and then, um, oh, man, where was it? Right here. Yep. Yeah. Man, I wish. Well, we'll get to that, because there, yeah. there is a, uh, so the short answer is yes, and, and not only uh, does it apply, like, when, like, a believing husband isn't submitting to Christ, it also extends to, like, unbelieving husbands, right? And so... So, and we'll kind of get into that, and I'll find that passage. What does that look like? Because I don't want to just give it from me. Uh, there, there is a, a role for that in there, yep. One real quick comment, uh, and this is what you put in there. I thought it was really yeah. good. Uh, in that Ephesians 5 passage where it talks about uh, the husband leaving his father and his mother, uh, there's a way to love your wife uh, as it relates to your in-laws. Okay, so like, if, and we're not going to get all into that conversation right now, but it is like, yeah, you are becoming one together, and uh, as much as you want to honor your parents, respect your parents, like, you don't just blow them off, you don't just leave them for, like, take care of your parents as they get older, like, there are clear things that we do as children to still honor our parents, even as, even as we're married, mm-hmm. right, but the primary relationship, like, the primary focus and priority of relationship does shift from your parents, to your spouse. And, man, we've seen so many uh, interesting situations where, and maybe maybe you've felt it or you can already anticipate it, where it's like, oh, man, her, you really are marrying her family to a degree. But that doesn't mean that, like, now she's still, like, submitting to her dad, right, to her mom, or you to your, like, if you're a mama's boy, like, sorry, you... Not, not, not your <laughs> wife's man, right? And so, so that, that's him. Anyways, we'll put that aside. Um, Colossians 3.18, uh, role of the husband. 18 through 20, I guess. Lead with understanding, mm. show compassion, and be gracious. Yeah. Role of the husband. And man, this keeps coming up. It's like, role of the husband, love your wife. Love your, and, and here's how that, spe- that, that specifically looks. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Maybe your translation says bitter. Literally what that means is sharp. Like, don't be sharp with your wife. Like, don't be sharp in your words. Don't be, uh, don't be punchy. Like, it's man, th- this is the one that I fail in the most often. I mean, it's, it's frustratingly common for me to, to try to think through how can I most efficiently say this? Then how can I most lovingly say this? Right? Because the efficient one is like, boom, there. I just said it. And don't, why, why do you care about how I said it? Like, why do you care? <laughs> just listen to the words themselves. It's like, should I just send it in a text? You know, like maybe that might be like, because I can so uh, detach the, the 180 other things that are revolving around my words where it's like, but they're actually really sharp, and they're really, they're really quick, they're really punchy. They don't take into consideration uh, how these could actually, how I could love my wife and how I say these things, right? 
that's a real thing, as much as I wish it wasn't. Like, I'm principled not be like, oh, can we just take my words at face value? Sorry, no, <laughs> we can't. And so husbands, don't be sharp uh, with your wives. Sharp, cynical, harsh, all those things. Uh, I used to think for the longest time, like, like, because my translation had the word bitter, where it was like, oh, well, don't hold a grudge. It's like, no, don't be sharp. Don't be pointy in the way that you talk to your wife. So role of the wife. We're going to feel redundant here, but it's worth it. Mm -hmm. And again, it says, as is fitting to the Lord. And last night, I was curious, what does that mean, as is fitting? And it just, the, the Greek word means what is due the Lord, like what is due him, that's how we're to submit. And this passage specifically, um, I know we've talked about um, submission, but also submitting to the Lord, like your question, what does it look like to submit to someone who isn't following the Lord? Well, if we're submitting to God what God is due him, if your husband's calling you to do something that is not submitting to God, you're going to submit God first and then your husband. Mm -hmm. So that might probably won't come up a lot, but it's something to remember. Mm -hmm. Is your your first priority is to honor God. And if your husband's asking you to do something that's not honoring the Lord, then you're gonna honor the Lord first. Yeah. So first Peter three seven. This is a fun one, okay? But, but we'll tackle it. First Peter 3, 7. Uh, role of the husband. Yeah, be understanding. Be understanding. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Again, Thinking back to Ephesians 5, like showing honor to the woman, like again, this counter-cultural, other-worldly honor women, right? Like to us, we're like, well, yeah, well, for, like it wasn't that way for that, you know, so honor women. So what do we do with the weaker vessel thing? Okay, that's, that's a big question where it's like, wait, are, are you saying that women aren't as competent? Are you saying that they're whatever? It's like, no, that's, that's not at all what that is. Uh, and, and when we first went through this last year, I was like, dang, what in the world does that mean? Like, I want to know what that means. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of ways to, there's a lot of uh, thoughts of how to interpret that. I really do think that it is a, uh, a generalization, okay, um, that is specifically talking, one, uh, and this, this is going to feel like a cop-out. I really did wrestle with this, where it's like, okay, in general, women uh, are weaker physically. Again, in general, some of you might be stronger than your guy. Great, more power to you. Keep, I'm obviously not. Keep working out. Like, that's great. You know, but in general, it's like, it's like men, don't, don't use even like your physical presence in some sort of imposing, intimidating way. Um, and then also going back to the uh, Colossians 3, 18 through 20, once again, in general, women tend to be uh, more emotionally sensitive, right? Now, weaker, sure, we can use that language, but it's like, it's like guys, be, be gentle and understanding mm -hmm. with your wives. Like, this is not in any way meant to, like, as, as some kind of, like, backhanded towards, like, 
well, they're just incompetent, so you just got to deal with it. It's like, no, no, no. This truly, this isn't to be a commentary on the weakness of women as much as it is to call men to be gentle and understanding with their wives. Like, that, that's what that means in general. So, uh, role of the wife from 1 Peter 3, 7. We kind of cheated. We backed up to before that. And like, in verse 4, it talks about having a gentle and quiet spirit. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember growing up, my dad talking to me about this passage and what does it look like to be a strong woman of the Lord and also be gentle and quiet. And when it talks about the weaker vessel, he explained it to me really well. And just, you know, when you have a child and you have something that's like precious on the mantle, you know, and it's like, be gentle with it. It's not because it's like an inferior thing. It's more of, it's actually really special. It's a precious thing. It's yeah. a precious thing. Be gentle with it. So you don't see weaker vessel as like it's trash. It's more like, no, be gentle with it because it's a special thing. Mm. Plus it's also implied in paragraph. And we're supposed to actively, both parties are supposed to actively develop a partnership. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. We got to... Both heirs. Yeah. I mean, we're... We're not going to separate rooms there you go. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. Like, Seriously, yeah. yeah. Which, which, man, is so beautiful how this unpacks because you think of heirs. Uh, when they would have thought that, they would have thought, oh, firstborn son, mm-hmm. right? So to include, let's just, let's just for sake of the illustration, like to include the sister in, in the inheritance, that would have made no sense. They're like, wait, what? Like she gets an inheritance too? Like just like me? Like, there really is a, an equalizing force under the gospel as it relates to, like, like as even though there are specific roles and responsibilities that, that we're given by God and how we function, like, it's all under the banner of, like, we are co-heirs with Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, right? It's like, uh, I, I, tell, I told you to, what was it, this morning, uh, they're playing on the bed, and Judah hits his sister or whatever, and it's like, I don't let that go. I, one, I don't let it go. Two, I, I think I actually treat it more severely than if Naomi would have hit him. Because it's like, bud, your role as her brother is to, uh, is to love and protect your sister. That's your role. Like, if Naomi hits him, yeah, I don't want to hit his sister. But, like, I want Judah to understand his role, in, just in relation to women in general. But as he grows up to maybe be a, a husband and a father someday, where it's like, like, dude, your role is to die for, for the woman in your life. Right now, that's your sister and your mom. Someday, that might be your wife and your daughter, right? And, like, I want him to understand that uh, because of the great value that's there. Okay, real quick, uh, Titus 2, 3, uh, yeah. Titus 2, it, uh, it should have been 3 through 6, but we'll get there. Um, yeah, yeah. So Titus 2, 3 through 6. What did you guys get there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be a role model. Yeah. Yeah. Self-controlled, sensible. Um, 
Yeah, it's really interesting. It's, it's going to be really hard to teach your sons uh, how to love women, love their wives, like if you aren't doing it yourself, like if you aren't, or if you aren't actively practicing self-control, right? Like that, if anything, if the best case scenario there is that you're a hypocrite, which that's the best case scenario. Like the, the, other, the other side is that you just wouldn't teach them, uh, well, you would teach them something, but it wouldn't be what you would want them to emulate. So um, able to control one's body, thoughts, and emotions. That's what sensible means. Like you're able to control your body, your thoughts, and your emotions. Again, all of this is connected with being sharp towards your wife. Like that, that for, for me to be short and sharp with Sarah really is an expression of, an, of a lack of self-control of my own emotions. That's what that is, like at a root level, right? So um, role of the wife, Titus 2. Man. Yep. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that's that was really. We've had that conversation. Oh before. man, we we go through that with college students a lot, actually. Yeah. Where it's like, like, yeah, you're not called to be submissive to your boyfriend. And when you are married, like, you're called to be submissive to your own husband, like you said, like, not somebody else's husband, right? And even all men are not called to be leaders of all mm-hmm. men. Right. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah, this could be a whole lesson in and of itself, but just a couple things to hit on. Loving your husband, again. Um, And the thing that I think is interesting is the being self-controlled, teaching what is good. That word is basically to be of sound mind and sound doctrine, and the best way you can love your husband is by loving Jesus with a good, sound doctrine and sound mind. So when you think of how do I love my husband best, it's love Jesus. Spend time in your word and love him well by loving Jesus. Um, And then the other one is just being submissive again and teaching other women that are in your life how to lovingly submit to your husband Mm. also. So one of the mistakes we made the last time we taught this was uh, we didn't realize how long the lesson was. So we're going to kind of fly through. And for you, kind of ADD, you got to get all your blanks filled in. We're going to try to help you out here, okay? Get them all filled in. We're going to try to get them all filled in. Um, (laughs) uh, All right, so under the summary of biblical teaching, okay? And this is is pointing back to a lot of the passages we've we've already read through. But number one, the roles, the roles God is calling us to live out in our marriages are to reflect a picture of Christ and the church. That's that Ephesians 5, 22 through 23. Reflect a picture of Christ and the church. And this is why, uh, this is why divorce isn't an option. Right? Because what's at stake here isn't actually your own emotions, your own feelings, your own like, like well... I just don't love him anymore kind of thing. It's like, no, actually, what's at stake in marriage is the picture to the world of, of Christ's relationship with his own church, with his own bride, right? 
And so that's what's at stake in here, and that's why um, divorce wasn't an option. We, we had a friend who, uh, who her husband ended up uh, getting incarcerated, and man, their mar- it was just a mess. It was just an absolute mess, and it was so beautiful. Uh, and it was shortly after he was uh, in prison or arrested, and it seemed like a majority of the people in her life were encouraging her to leave him, and they were married. It's like, well, he's going to be in jail for maybe the rest of his life. I mean, it was, like, bad. And it was so beautiful to see how the Lord worked on her own heart. And, uh, and she said, and I wrote it down, she said, I'm staying with my husband because I love God. Because at that point, it wasn't even because she loved him. <laughs> it was like, it was, it was a mess, right? And there were all kinds of questions. It's like, well, was he faithful? Whatever. I mean, all the things you could imagine in a terrible relationship, a terrible marriage situation as to why you'd be like, yeah, I, I don't like divorce, but I could understand it. You know, it's like, no, she like put a stake in the ground. It's like, because I love God, I'm staying with my husband because the picture of our relationship is Christ and the church. Like, like you have to have that absolute resolve right now informed from the scriptures because there are going to come points in your lives and in your marriages. And if you've been married for a while, you already know this where it's like, there are going to be times where you're just kind of like, I'm, I'm loving you because I love God, right? Like, marriage is a hard thing, but it's a beautiful thing because it portrays Christ and his church. Um, number two. Man, I said we were going to fly. <laughs> I lied. I lie. Uh, particular roles and responsibilities do not reflect value, but instead reflect purpose and order. Particular roles and responsibilities do not reflect value, but instead reflect purpose and order. Value was established at creation. That's at Genesis 1, 27. And validated in the gospel. Value was established at creation and validated in the gospel. And so here, here's the bummer, is that I... <laughs> I, I forgot to bring my guitar because the way that I the way that I try to illustrate this, uh, uh, what we're talking about when we're talking about different in roles equal in value that that's what's called a, a, a complementarian framework, right? Like like the the husband and the wife complement each other uh, in our roles and our giftings and our responsibility. It's kind of like it's kind of like like you got a like a cog, right? Like like it you got a. The, the, the differing aspects fit together. Like, it makes it whole. It makes it work, you know? And, and I play guitar, so I thought of it at like a guitar where it's like, I can play like a G note, like just one note, and this is where I wish I would have brought my guitar. Um, I can play a G on the third fret. I can play a G note on the 10th fret. I can play a G note on the 12th fret. I can play it on the low E string, on the low B string, on the high E string. It, it all sounds like E or G. And it's just like, yeah, that's a G note. Great. But none of you would want to hear a song where I'm just playing G the note, right? It's incredibly boring. It's incredibly redundant. I could even go all up and down the neck and play G in eight different ways, the note, and you'd go, you'd like, you like, you'd, be waiting for it to end. Like you wouldn't want to hear the, any more of it. But the but the beautiful thing, and, th- and this is reflected in music. Hopefully, the analogy uh, still stands here, where it's like the way that there's a difference between a G note and a G chord. 
because the note is, is individual, right? The chord is where you've got a bunch of different notes coming together to make, it's still a G chord, it has G at its root, but it's got B, it's got D, it's got another B, it's got another G at the high, like it's got different notes within this G chord which makes it beautiful, right? But what, what happens when we don't recognize uh, the differences in our roles is essentially what we're trying to do is we're trying to play a song and we're playing the same notes. Like I'm playing, I'm playing the low G because my voice is deeper. She's playing the high G because her voice is higher. We're just playing G's and we're just trying to be equal and across the board. And it's like that, that actually is a diminishing of who Sarah is because she's gifted in different in ways that are different than me. Uh, and and God, has, God has given her a different role than me for very specific reasons. And so when, when I play a G and she plays a B, like that's when it starts to get beautiful. Like that's when we start to fill each other out. When, and that's when we start to function within the way that we've been designed to function within our marriage, right? And again, I wish it, it makes, it, it's a way cooler illustration when you actually have the guitar. But, um, but yeah, like, like when husbands and wives try, try to play the same exact notes under the banner of equality, it's like you're actually diminishing the beauty of what God intended marriage to be because he's created us differently with different roles. Okay. Um, one thing I'll say real quick before we before we go on to uh, on to number three. Um, is that what what we see biblically and, and you kind of hit this, Michelle, a little bit, where it was uh, specifically where we see the differences in gender roles and responsibilities in scripture, I believe are uh, in the home and in the church. Uh, there are some people who want to try to uh, who want to try to um, replicate these roles just across society as a whole, right? And, 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 and where, to where you could be like, well, women shouldn't be CEOs, they should whatever. It's like that's not where I'm landing here because what I see in the scripture is like the primary uh, environment for these gender roles and distinctions, really biblically, biblically from what I can see, is within the home and within the church. Uh, which is why, if you go on Candeo's website uh, under beliefs, you'll see a, a position paper on men's and women's roles in ministry. So that'll kind of lay out what the elders say, like as far as as far as how men and women function within the within the structure of Candeo Church. Um, if you read it through the lens of like what we've talked about here this morning, it'll make a lot more sense because what we're trying to do as far as church leadership goes. Uh, and from what we see biblically is like the, there are role distinctions uh, between men and women within the church and within the home. And they actually look somewhat similar, right? And so you can go on the website and read that for yourself. Um, but it, it actually is intended not to be limiting, but really freeing mm-hmm. to, to emphasize the gifts uh, that both men and women have, both within the home and within the church. I just wanted to throw that out there because uh, I'm really glad that we've got that that paper on the website because it really helps with a lot of this. Do you have anything to say? You're just sitting there. I, no, I think you're doing a great job. I, I think the the paper, I'm really thankful that Candeo came, like, landed and actually wrote something, especially as a female in the church and to be able to talk to other women. And I know that's a touchy subject, but just to encourage you from a female's perspective, when you read it, it is not limiting, and it's not, um, 
It, it is. It's freeing, and it's freeing to see in the Bible, really, there's only two things that women shouldn't do, and everything else is free game. And it's free game for what we're gifted in and what God has gifted us in. And I had a conversation with someone, and they're like, well, Candeo is saying that women can't do this and women can't do this. Um, but even as I was reflecting on that this morning, it's like, no, we have, right now, we have 26 women leading a small groups of Bible studies throughout the Cedar Valley. We have 70 connection group leaders that are women in the church. We have almost every ministry we have women serving in. Almost half of our staff is women. So when you look at it that way, it's like, no, women can serve, and we are gifted by God to serve in many ways. Mm. So when you read it, it's not limiting. It's freeing to be able to use our gifts in the ways that God has created us. And I, I'm really encouraged by how Candeo is growing in that way and emphasizing women's gifts and how we can lead and, and support the church in a good, healthy way. All right. We're going to keep flying. Sorry. That was really good. Uh, number three, roles and responsibilities were ordained by God in creation before sin and apart from culture. Before sin and apart from culture. And you can see this throughout Paul's writings where, um, particularly with women's roles in the church, where he doesn't appeal to the culture, he actually appeals to creation, which is outside of the culture. And that's kind of where we get that. Number four, each one's focus is to be on themselves, not their spouse. Sounds counterintuitive. Each one's focus is to be on themselves, not their spouse. Here's what I'll say. If your first focus in marriage is, uh, is making your wife happy, you're going to ruin your marriage. If that's like your first, like your primary focus, like, and, and, and you're like, well, but didn't you say you're supposed to have like loving leadership and you're supposed to, to prefer her and like die to your own desires? It's like, yes. But if, you're, if your primary focus is your wife, you're going to ruin your marriage. Because at the end of the day, like, you can't lead your life lovingly without, one, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and two, guidance from the Word of God. Right? So, like, your primary relationship as a husband is your relationship with God himself through his Word. Same thing with the wife. Wives, your primary relationship with, your primary relationship in your life has to be with God himself, because there's no way you're, we're going to be able to do any of this apart from empowerment of the Holy Spirit and constant reminder, reminder through the word of God, right? So each one's focus is to be on themselves it, with the asterisk. So like your focus is to be on your relationship with Christ. I, I, don't, I don't know of a, of a marriage or of a husband or of a wife who, who had a really great relationship with Christ and were terrible spouses, right? But you can see it the other way around all the time, okay? Well, all right. even as we talked about this morning, if you, um, my brother is going through a rough patch in their marriage, mm. but he wants to focus on what she's not doing yeah. rather than what he's, you know, what he, his own role in the relationship. Right. And I think if you're connected to God, 
if there is that rough patch, I mean, you have that, you have God, you lean into God, yeah. you have that, you're not looking for your spouse to fulfill mm-hmm. this hole or something that you mm-hmm. have, because you're filled by God. Oh, yeah. Spirit. I mean, that's, because yeah. it's going to happen, checks in the mail. I mean, yeah. time. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure to put on your spouse, too, if yeah. you're looking to them to oh, fill you seriously. like you would want God to fill you, right. they can't, they're going to yeah. fail, and mm-hmm. it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. So number five, God calls the husband to loving leadership. We hit this before. Um, Guys, the the question that we've got to ask ourselves, uh, do you fill or empty her tank? What I mean is like, like, uh, when it comes to, I think generally, when it comes to love, uh, women are like fish, men are like camels, right? Like Sarah asked me, or uh, she's like, so, so what you have do, to explain that. I, I will, I will. So, so what do I do that, that makes you feel loved? And I'll just look at be like, I don't know. I don't, I never think about it. Like, it's just, I don't know, I don't know. I never think about whether I feel loved, to be honest. You know, it's like, because honestly, there's, there's some things where it's like, I can go for a long time and never think about whether I feel loved or not. Whereas, so like a camel, Whereas fish, if you ask a fish to write a paper on what water is, they'll be like, what's water? Because they live in it. Like, that's just their, they're always, they're, they're, so, uh, they're so surrounded by, like, I think women are just generally more in tune to whether or not they actually feel loved, right? And so, guys, do you fill or empty her tank? Like, if there's, like, a love tank, right? Like, are you, are you constantly making deposits into that? Where it's like, because there's a hole at the bottom, you know, it, it leaks and we don't remember. And guys, like, we, you say, I love you and I'm good for three months. Okay, that's not going to work with your wife. Like, how do you constantly express your love for her? I, I asked her, this is going to sound robotic, and it probably is. Um, but I just, I recognize my own ignorance in this and my, my woeful inability to stay consistent. And I just asked Sarah, I was like, can you just write a list? And I'm not trying to make this weird. Like, can you just write a list of some of the things that make you feel loved? Like anything from something little to something big, right? And she was great, just wrote a little list. And for a while, I just kept it next to my side of the bed. Cause I'm like, I just needed the visual reminder of like, here's a few of the things that, uh, that helps Sarah know that I love her. Like, give, give me a hug in the morning. I'm like, duh, that's an easy one. I can do that, you know? Anywhere from like, like a date night every once in a while would be great. It's like awesome. It's not rocket science, right? But and it, it is important to love each other the way they feel loved because it's just wasted time if mm-hmm. it's not. And there were there were arguments that happened where it was like, well, didn't you see da 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 da? And I'm like, that you took out the trash, thanks, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's not how I feel loved. But some people feel loved by acts of service. Yeah. You know, but I'm like, but you didn't give me a hug or you didn't, you know, whatever. So find out what loves each other and do mm-hmm. that. Don't do what you think is loving. Ask them oh, and man. they'll tell you. That's where the, yeah, because garbage wasn't on the list. <laughs> you know? And as women, not, you know, understanding like you don't know probably. Like instead of later feeling like, why don't you know mm. yeah. all these things? Like you said, you don't have any reason to know sometimes. Yeah, because it's like, yeah, we kind of 
just go through life in mm. our little waffle brain. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Everything's got a place. They don't touch. You know? Yeah. That's so that's awesome. Love language. There's places out there. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that is helpful. And oh, it does man. change too. So mm-hmm. don't think that if you know, you know, what your spouse needs ten years ago, that's the same thing yeah. now. It's a great conversation. Uh, I think it's Five Love Languages. Uh, Gary Chapman, uh-huh. I think is his name. That's a great book if you haven't read it. Um, so number six, God calls... So number five, God calls the husband to loving leadership. Number six, God calls the wife to respectful submission. And again, we're beating a drum here, but you wanna, do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, something helpful that just recently... I, I don't remember who told me this, but... It's been helpful. Do everything you can to set your husband up for success. So when you're respecting him, when you're submitting to him, make it your goal to set him up to succeed. Don't be like, well, try to lead me, you know, have fun with this. Set him up for success and help him, help him succeed. Maybe maybe he's not leading the family well in family devotions instead of just like nagging him and saying like why don't you ever do this you don't ever do this like help him just be like hey here's here's the bible you know do you want to read tonight or like is that what you're doing <laughs> just your help tricks. help him help him succeed <laughs> don't don't be the one that's always nagging him mm. um because our, our words are some of the most powerful words in our husband's lives. So we can say one thing and we can tear him down for months. Mm. Or we can say one thing and we can put wind in those sails and he can sail for weeks just with the encouragement that we've given him. Yeah, and just a little insight for you, for you gals. Uh, one of the scariest things for a, a husband is that, his, is that his wife would roll his eyes at him when he's trying to lead. It sounds really superficial, and it maybe is, I don't know, but like, even for me, I'm not a big feeler or whatever, but it's like, man, if you wanna take the wind out of your husband's sails really quickly, uh, just do the littlest thing to give an indicator that you think that when he's trying to lead that he's stupid. Man, that's the scariest thing for a guy. Like, we need, I need like Sarah to be my cheerleader, not in a diminishing way or whatever, but it's like, because she is so, her voice is so valuable, like, Every little thing that she does to, to help uh, instill confidence in my leadership, like, that's huge. Um, yeah, yeah. So in a quick asterisk here, nowhere in Scripture does it call the men to make their wives submit. That's a big, that's a big deal, right? Because it's like, no, no, like, women are to willfully submit, to joyfully submit. But as it relates to the men, like, there isn't, you could maybe you've heard it as a joke where it's like, just submit, woman. And it's like, well, that's, that's never the role of the husband to, to force the wife to submit. Um, that, that can turn tyrannical pretty quick. Uh, and and to, the, to the question earlier about what if, uh, what if the husband isn't following Christ? Like, how, what does the wife do then? That's actually part of the, the first half. We didn't, we didn't go all the way up there for that first Peter 3 um, but it says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And so this is, in, this is where it's like, man, if uh, we, had, we had some friends who uh, the husband uh, wasn't a believer. She was. And um, she was, man, 
she was one of like the godliest examples of First Peter three, where it's like she did everything she could to lovingly submit to his leadership. I mean, he wasn't like like asking her to do things that would be outside the realms of scripture, stuff like that. But it's just like just leading their family in ways that she clearly, obviously, wouldn't want to be led necessarily, you know, because they just have a totally different worldview. Um, but she did absolutely everything that she could to show him, like, I'm going to submit to your leadership even though this isn't what I would want. And, like, it, and this isn't one of those success stories either. Like, she's, she's still doing that today. Mm-hmm. And, and he, hasn't, he hasn't been one yet uh, without a word by the conduct of, of her. But it's like, but she's staying the course and, like, finding her identity in Christ and her power and her strength in Christ as she lovingly submits to her husband who doesn't uh, follow the word, you know. Um, I, I, yeah, I think we, we could get into uh, what about situations of abuse and stuff like that. Like, in my mind, that's a different, I, I would have a different answer um, in certain respects for some of that stuff, but we'll leave that for, uh, for now. But so God calls a wife to respectful submission. Um, yeah, is there anything you want to add here at the end as we wrap up? Do uh, the back of the note cards and then open up for questions. Back of the note cards. Sorry. Asking, like, people to assess one another. Yeah, so, and like I said earlier, we're, you're not going to be able to have the conversation, like, right now. Maybe you will on the way out. That'd be fun. Uh, take some time to, to, like, debrief on your note cards, all right? And if there's anything in light of kind of what we've talked about this morning that you want to kind of put an addendum to or, or add or whatever... Um, that would be awesome. Uh, a few things as it relates to roles and responsibilities. Uh, if, if you really are kind of struggling with, uh, man, I just don't know if, if that complementarian view makes sense or, man, where, how do I think through that? Uh, a couple of resources that are helpful. Um, one is it's called Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Uh, that was written by Wayne Grudem and John Piper. It's, it's a commitment. Like, it's a book, right? So, like a, <laughs> like a book, book. So, if, yeah, you use the index. That'll that'll help you a lot. Um, another one that that is actually really helpful, and, and uh, uh, the elders are working on actually putting together a small resource library, and this will be one of the books that's that's in that that's available. It's called Two Views of Women in Ministry uh, by uh, Craig Blomberg and Linda Belleville, uh, and, and it, it it lays out two totally opposing views as it relates to complementarianism and egalitarianism, which would be the other view. Um, that is not as much of a book, okay? It's shorter and a little bit more easy to di- digest. And that, that'll end up being in the, in the resource library that we have. So uh, any quick, I know we're like a minute, a minute past. Uh, any quick questions that maybe we could answer? We'll stick around for a little bit too. I know it was a lot of material, so sorry about that. Okay, we'll stick around. Next week, read chapter four. And next week is on, I believe, communication.